Hey alumni, welcome to InterVarsity World Changers, the podcast celebrating God's world-changing work in and through InterVarsity alumni like you. I'm your host, John Steele, and today we're talking with Dr. Patty Pell, a University of Wyoming alumna. And Dr. Pell is changing the world through Denver Seminary's Gospel Initiative, where they are seeking to support the church's mission in creating a compelling, compassionate, and credible gospel presence in contemporary society. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy Dr. Pell's story. Dr. Pell, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Oh, I am really glad to have you. How How's life in Colorado? Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, enjoying that. Things are good. That's great. I'm glad to hear that. I do you do you get to see Mount? I'm I'm always just a little ignorant. Not a little. I'm always very ignorant of like Colorado vistas, what you can see from where. But where you spend most of your time, can you see mountains like all the time? I can. If I look out my window to the right, I can see a little bit of the foothills. Okay. Um, from my house, we live in a condo. I can see the mountains in the winter <laughs> because wow. there's lots of trees. So when we lose the leaves, we can see through the tall buildings and we can see a little bit of the mountains. But driving around town, any of that, you, you do really get. And the park that's right near our place, you get a beautiful view of some of the bigger peaks and mountains. So wow. it is a lovely place to live. That I mean, it sounds it sounds amazing. I remember my first time visiting Colorado and just really not believing what I was seeing. That it it was it's one of those moments where something that is so hyper real because it is actually because <laughs> you're actually looking at it that maybe it's just because of all the time I spend on a screen and you see stuff that isn't real. Uh, but you're just like, this can't be, this can't actually be real. This has to be computer generated, but there it is. The actual mountains around me. It was just, it was mind blowing. It is. It's a, it's a privilege and a blessing to live here and yeah to get to view that and sometimes they really do look unreal <laughs> yes. uh, like a, a beautifully painted backdrop to the yes city. yes absolutely that's uh, and maybe it's just because that's up until that time that was my only experience with mountains were, was uh, was beautifully painted backdrops and so it just that's <laughs> how my brain interprets it uh well Dr. Pell, again, thank you so much for for joining us today. Uh, I'm really looking forward to hearing more about the work that you're doing with Gospel Coalition. And uh, and, and I, I just wonder, would you, as we get started here, would you help us all just get to know you? Sorry, the Gospel Initiative, <laughs> the Gospel Coalition. Uh, yes, would you, uh, for the work, I'm excited to hear stories about the work that you're doing with the Gospel Initiative. And uh, But before we dig into those stories, would you just give us a background. Tell us a little bit about who you are, intro yourself, and as an alumna, would you tell us the story of how you got started with InterVarsity too? I would love to. Um, I will start with a little bit of who I am and where I am. So um, I am currently full-time faculty. I'm at Denver Seminary, so I'm the Assistant Professor of Theology, Justice, and Social Advocacy, um, and I'm in my eighth year uh, here at Denver Seminary and then the executive director of the Gospel Initiative, which we will talk about. Yes. Um, and uh, my husband, Scott, is a school counselor and we have three adult children kind of scattered um, around the world. Uh, and before I was at the seminary, I pastored for a number of years and then, um, yeah, had a kind of foot in the university world and a foot in the local church world for many decades. So okay. that's, yeah, that's kind of um, me. Um, and I love to talk about university. So first of all, thank you so much for inviting me Absolutely. Um, to be here. Um, my, uh, how I initially got connected with university, um, I I actually went looking for university when I was a freshman. Okay. So I grew up in Wyoming, in Casper, Wyoming. And I had a couple of friends that were older than me and had gone to Casper College, um, and then on to the University of Wyoming, and they had gotten connected with InterVarsity. Um, way back in the day, there were fellowships on a lot of the community college campuses in Wyoming, and so they had connected with InterVarsity and then had gone to the University of Wyoming and 
And they said, you have to look for InterVarsity. So when I showed up on campus as a freshman, I looked for InterVarsity and <laughs> nice. um, found them, thankfully, and really got involved straight away and was involved for my whole time as a student at UW. Um, it was a life-changing experience for me, but that's how I initially got connected. Wow. Uh, it's so nice to have those people in our lives that that have advocated for something that ended up being incredibly formative in in our life moving forward. So thank goodness for people who experienced InterVarsity and told other people to look for it. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I wholeheartedly agree. <laughs> yes. Well, that's great. As you as you think, I mean, you said that you have uh, that you have all of this time that you spent kind of with uh, a foot in both camps of pastoring and on staff with InterVarsity in different ways. But then also as a student, as you look back over this history that you have with InterVarsity, is there, I'm, I'm sure that there are so many that it's probably difficult to find one to, to share, but is there, a, is there a particularly foundational memory that you look back on or something that just has particular meaning to you as you think about your time with InterVarsity? Yeah, it's actually um, an easy one, and I will tell one. I actually <laughs> told one last night oh, in class. Nice. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> um, so I'm still telling university students uh, stories. Um, yeah, I was talking last night about the uh, power of including people who mm. might be on the margins and who might be a little on the outsides of things and how I learned as a student leader from a couple of other student leader friends of mine um, back in the day when we actually had phone lists uh, on paper. <laughs> yeah. uh, and these friends of mine, every time, every weekend that came by, um, they would plan some social and would get out that phone list and call the people who really needed to be invited, um, who were on the edges. So that's the story I told last night, but, nice. um, the story, um, that comes to mind immediately because I think it's so foundational for my, really my whole journey, um, of discipleship with the Lord and much of what I did with university and much of what I do now on faculty was, um, attending a Bible and life conference my freshman mm. year. So back in those days, we had Bible and Life conferences, and um, I can remember sitting in um, a, a session, and we were studying Exodus, and um, Dennis Anderson, who was a longtime staff worker and area director with university, was taking us through the Exodus story, mm. and it was um, one of the first times that I think anyone had taken me into Scripture in a narrative way, helped me enter into the story wow. and to uh, really see what was happening there and to take the literature of scripture and open that up into this inspired um, word of God. And so it was that first time where um, I was putting the pieces together, like this is the inspired word of God and it's literature. And I can go into a story, into a narrative and learn something about God and mm. learn something about um, me and us as people. That realization was life-changing for me. Um, I fell in love with the Bible and I fell in love with the Old Testament in particular. I went on to do my master's in Old Testament studies Yes, um, <clears throat> because it was this, there are these stories of real people interacting with God and you work at understanding and being in God's word and there's truth there that, that connects with us uh, as people. It, it really was, um, I mean, I can kind of picture it and um, picture the ways in which he helped us enter into scripture and into the narrative. I, I love that story. And it's it's not surprising to hear for me to hear you say something about entering into scripture and the way that that you had this formative experience of engaging with God's word and that 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 really stands out. We hear that so often from alumni that the way that they learn to study the Bible was so important and something that they look back on is like this was pivotal for me. I feel the same way. I am also I, I love the Old Testament. And people look at me sideways when I say that. But, you know, like, I mean, Genesis is seriously like one of my most favorite books. It is full of the most messed up people that you'll ever read about. But my word, it's just fascinating to see the way that God interacts with with his people in those places and the redemptive stories that, oh, man, 
it's a fantastic book and just the Old Testament in general, the way that it informs our understanding of the things that Jesus said, the things that Paul says. I mean, it's just it 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 ratchets up the realism of the New Testament in such amazing ways. I, I love I love context. I love Old Testament context. And that's and I can tell you that uh, Bible and life material is still alive and well today because I just heard a story about a fall conference that happened where they were using Bible and life material for uh, for the conference sessions. So yeah. more that's people are still being influenced by Bible and life even today. So, yes, uh, hopeful and excited for future alumni like you who will say, man, Bible and life, that changed my life. So, um, well, Dr. Pell, I love those stories. I'm excited to hear more stories as we go along of the ways that, you know, you've had these formative experiences. And that that is one of the that is one of the defining qualities when we think about an InterVarsity world changer is that they have had this formational experience with InterVarsity uh, and, maybe, and probably many of them uh, more than likely, and that they are also growing in love for God, for God's word, as we've just talked about, growing in love for his people of every ethnicity and culture and growing in love for for his purposes around the world. And I would imagine that there are many different ways that we could uh, talk about your world changer experiences with God through that, through that lens. But the one that I do want to zoom in on is talking about the gospel initiative. So can you just help paint us a nice broad picture and then we'll go deeper from there, but tell us a little bit about the gospel initiative. What is it? What does it do? And and what's your role with it? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, yeah, the gospel initiative um, has been a kind of separate center almost at Denver Seminary that's only been around uh, a few years. I think we're in our fourth year. Oh, okay. So, it's very so pretty new. new. Mm-hmm, very new. But it, um, it is intimately tied to the seminary's overall mission. So the seminary's mission is to equip men and women to engage the needs of the world Mm. with the redemptive power of the gospel and the life-changing truths of scripture, uh, which I think is so connected to InterVarsity. Absolutely. Um, (laughs) And we think you can pull the four loves right out of that mission statement. Um, But the idea for the gospel initiative really came from our president um, who was thinking um, through our mission, and part of that mission is engaging the world to the engaging the needs of the world, and thinking about the church's public witness, and uh, really its poor public witness in mm. so many instances lately, and his heart to come alongside the church and help the church have a more compelling and credible, compassionate public witness especially it willingness to engage the difficult challenges, the complex issues that um, we're surrounded by in culture and in our world. And so um, that in, the initiative was a new directive in a sense that was a part of Denver Seminary to help to do just that, to help equip the church to enter into those hard, challenging conversations and to learn and to have a more credible and compassionate public witness. So that's the the big picture. Um, My involvement is actually fairly recent um, because I teach the Theology, Justice and Social Advocacy program. It connects quite well with the content of my program. And my doctoral work was in public theology. Mm. And so um, that fits really well with the mission of the gospel initiative. So I I came on as the executive director just last spring. Okay. Now, just because maybe it helps us fill in the fill in the picture just a little bit more. Can you can you tell me what what is public theology? The you know Reader's Digest version. <laughs> I know you've you've done a lot of work on it, but uh, for someone like me who doesn't know about that, what is that? It's a very. Um, broad and nebulous discipline. Okay. <laughs> start with that. <laughs> That's the um, best. Uh, because you can fit almost anything that the church does um, in the public square, kind of in public theology. Uh, but a way of thinking of it is the church's conversation and interaction with the public square um, and its work in public arenas. So um, justice work, but also the, the, the conversations. So how 
we as the people of God enter into conversations in the public square around issues that involve all people. Mm. So um, that is a very Reader's Digest <laughs> definition um, of public theology. So it, it gets at issues, John, like interfaith dialogue gets at issues mm. of um, how do we understand from a variety of disciplines what's going on in a particular issue, and then how do we um, understand that and engage it and come up with solutions in a pluralistic society where faith, at least in our context, faith is still invited into the conversation and still has a place at the table, but we do that in in a context where there are people of other faiths and no faith. Hmm. Which sounds like a really great application of, you know, I mean, just the idea of theology, not just being the things that we believe, have come to believe, but like, what do I understand about the things that I believe? What do I understand about broader belief around Mm -hmm. me? And then how do I actually engage that in real life and recognize how this impacts the people around me and uh, engaging in the public square around ideas that might be kind of challenging and that people have lots of different perspectives on. And it it sounds like that is exactly what you're doing with the gospel initiative. (laughs) (laughs) It is. It's nice when, you know, those threads are integrated. That's helpful. It is nice. Uh, Many of us go a good chunk of our life waiting for the things that we've studied to uh, seem to clearly connect to what we're doing in our everyday life. So that's great. (laughs) (laughs) You just have to be very, very patient. It happens. It just takes a while. It absolutely does. It absolutely does. So you've, you've alluded to this a little bit, but if we can just dig into a little bit more, why, why would you say that the church needs the work that the gospel initiative is doing? Um, Yeah, I think the church always um, needs to be asking the question about its witness in the world. Mm. Um, so we're ambassadors and sent into the world. Um, I think we constantly need to be asking how are we engaging and interacting with the world, but particularly I think um, in our present context where we we all know kind of the increasing experience of divisiveness, mm. I think the increasing complexity of the world around us, but also the complexity of the challenges that we face Um, societally requires the church to ask lots of hard questions about its engagement. And so I think because of those increasing divisiveness and the complexity, the church hasn't always behaved well, so to speak, um, in the the public square. We haven't haven't engaged conversations and gotten involved in conversations in ways that are compelling. So Mm. um, the, the terminology we use a lot in the Gospel Initiative is credible, compelling, and compassionate. Um, I think those are really helpful ways to describe what our public witness can and maybe should be. Compelling this idea of that people would see and have an experience with the people of God that compels them towards Christ. There's something appealing and attractive as opposed to repelling, which happens frequently. Yes, sadly. And the issue of credibility, um, uh, I think oftentimes the church doesn't have a credible witness Mm. um, for a variety of reasons. But one, I think, is that we maybe don't do our work enough to understand the complexity of the challenges and issues around us. And so we speak into things without really understanding and that affects our credibility. So I think we have a kind of a credibility deficit and then a compassionate deficit as well that we may, we may at times speak into or um, get involved in social issues in ways that are less than compassionate. So I think all of those are things that we're seeing in the church. Um, And so it's the work of the gospel initiative, I think, is very relevant to what's going on around us, maybe more so. I think there are always different times throughout church history where we find ourselves in that place where we need a different kind of witness. And I would say that this is one of those times. Yes. And and it feels to me we live in an age where it's very... I don't know where it's very, it's very popular to uh, to critique the church of to have like, oh, man, the church is just so messed up. And like, it's just how are we ever? Gonna, and it feels like what you're what you're saying is this is this is not a place where it's uh, just 
how can we how can we critique the church, but how can we disciple the church? That you know, mm-hmm. how can we how can we rub shoulders with one another's and spur one another on to a better way? Uh, as opposed to just being down on how things are going. And what does it look like for us to be more compassionate? What does it look like to have good reasoning for believing what we believe and living out, carrying out the things that we believe in the public square and actually doing it, actually carrying it out in the public square? And uh, I mean, it sounds like, as you've said, there's this is probably needed all the time, but because of everything that's happened in the last three or four years and, and beyond that, it just feels particularly timely to uh, to be having these kinds of conversations, and uh, I- and interesting that you say that this you know the the gospel initiative has only been around for you know for three or four years or so, just a few years. That's like wow, this has come at a a time where it has really really been needed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, since I'm an Old Testament fan here as well, I mean, I think of the role of the prophets mm. to critique both internally. I, uh, the people of God and to critique the world around, but like Walter Brueggemann talks about, it's not just the role of the prophets to critique, but, but the role to energize Mm. and to use language, poetic language, figurative language to set up what things could be, um, this incredible vision of what things could be. And I think the, like you said, the church is, um, Maybe good at critiquing, uh, maybe good at critiquing externally, yes. maybe less good at critiquing internally. But I think there's something about being compelling that we mm. can bring to the public square as well um, that gives a vision of something good and flourishing that could be. And I think we can play a role in that. And, and we don't often do that. And I imagine that this is, you know, you talk about the word flourishing, uh, that, that that's probably part of your answer to, the, to my next question. But as you think about the success of the gospel initiative, you know, it's it's still in these early stages. There's probably still some vision forming and long term goals and who are our who are our long term partners and what does this look like as we're having an impact. But, you know, being in the place that you are now, what does success look like for the work that the gospel initiative is doing? This is a great question. <laughs> yeah, I I think success uh, for me would look like communities feel positive about the church. Mm, yes, that communities um, have a a positive response when they think about the churches in their in their midst, as opposed to either negative um, or a resistance, or maybe even ambivalent too. Mm but that there would be this positive response to the to the church from their communities, which I think goes back to that, that what we're talking about in terms of compelling. If, if we were able to be compelling in the public square and credible and compassionate, I think there would be a much more positive response yes. uh, to, to churches. I also feel like success on looks like pastors uh, feeling equipped uh, and able to engage the tough challenges. Mm. Um Pastors are, are, and not just pastors, church leaders, lay leaders, individual Christians, but I certainly think of pastors in their very difficult role these days of helping shepherd congregations in a more divisive context and helping to shepherd the church and help the church figure out ways to get involved um, in their communities in ways that help others to flourish. That's tough. Um, Yeah. Pastors are in a tough place and they have a lot to do already in just shepherding and caring for their congregations and post pandemic and all of that, let alone having the time to understand deeply the issues. And so if we can help equip pastors and if pastors feel like they, by taking advantage of the resources of the gospel initiative, feel like they have more tools to speak about issues and and help move their congregations. I think that feels like success to me as well. Um, uh, And if individual Christians feel more equipped to engage in conversations with family, with friends, with other church members in ways that are compelling and compassionate, that feels like success. I know those aren't super measurable, (laughs) 
<laughs> no, but, but we're working on that. Yeah. Yes. But I, you know, I, it, my background is in psychology and I remember at one point we talked about the difference between statistical significance and social significance. And what you're talking about is this, this realm of social significance, that these are things that even if you can't necessarily quantify it, you can go talk to the people who live around a church and say, I've never been in there, but I've talked to people there and they have stuff to say about what's happening in the world and locally that actually like really matters and makes me think like, oh, wow, maybe you, maybe there are, maybe you do have answers, <laughs> actual uh, viable answers for the things that are happening. And that, that sounds very significant uh, to be able to just, like you said, the neighborhoods around the world around thinks they, they think well of the church and the way that it engages. And, and yes, I, as I think about pastors and all the planning that goes into sermon series and what we're going to do for the year and think, and then all of a sudden something blows up in some part of the world or in their local context and to be able to say, okay, uh, Either I know how to pivot and talk about something different because it's relevant and needed right now, um, or I know how to contextualize what I was going to preach and why this passage of scripture matters for what happened yesterday in our neighborhood and to be able to to speak into those things and have a relevant voice and a compassionate voice uh, um, that 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 sounds really uh, important to be able to do that and not just from the pulpit, but then to be able to mobilize their people and say, and this is how we're going to engage, uh, even though it might feel different than what we normally do. Uh, but this is, we have a role to play in our community in the way that it's responding to what's going on around us. And it needs to be a compassionate response, um, both for the people who are being directly impacted and maybe also for the people that don't really know how to respond well to what's happening. Can we disciple mm -hmm. them well into compassion too? Absolutely. Uh, as you think about the the work that's been done up to this point, what's been what's been the hardest part so far? What makes you, are there moments that you've that you've encountered that all that kind of make you want to throw up your hands and say like, oh goodness, what what are we doing here? No, it's been super easy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, all kinds of things. Um, I would say cognitive dissonance mm. is a real thing um, and always a challenge. So. You know, part of what the Gospel Initiative does is um, we gather scholars, scientists, you know, experts in the topic that that particular event is dealing with um, and bring them together and, and learn about um, what the issue is, whether that's climate change or um, racial injustice or uh, human origins. Christian nationalism is the most recent one we've done. Um, but learn from them. And it's it's interesting when when we engage and listen to others and learn, right? Our tendency sometimes is to experience dissonance because it may push or challenge us mm. in different ways um, to think differently or um, it just disorients us in many ways, our theology or our perspective. And it's what we do with that cognitive dissonance um, then that becomes important, whether we um, resist it and kind of cling to and intensify the perspective that we already kind of came in with, or move towards that and move through the dissonance, which may require a shifting of perspectives. Mm. But a lot of times, I think one of the difficult things is helping shepherd people through that dissonance to a place where we're not just choosing to reduce the feelings of anxiety without really moving through that and doing the adjustment of perspectives that might be necessary. Um, so I think that's a challenge because you can talk about issues, you can bring in experts, you can, you know, do all of that. But unless we're willing to engage the dissonance in ourselves and maybe be disoriented a little bit so that we come out on the other side at a, a better place. Um, then we're, we're having good discussions, but we're not necessarily moving to a more credible place um, or more compelling place on particular issues. So that's certainly a challenge. Um, I would say also that another challenge is getting the right audience. Mm. So, um, if, if the mission of the Gospel Initiative is to help the church have a more compassionate and credible 
public witness to behave better, so to speak. <laughs> um, part of it is uh, helping or getting into relationship or finding pathways into relationship with folks who may think they are engaging the world well, mm. but might not be. Yes. Um, and that's tricky um, because a lot of times we think we are. We, we think we are engaging the world credibly or compassionately, and that may or may not be the case. Um, and so how do we build bridges with different audiences and different communities so that we can have those conversations. So we're still really wrestling through how that works. Um, Because you can put out resources, we can put out all kinds of learning opportunities and resources and do events. But if the folks that we're really hoping to help um, have a, a better public witness aren't interested or don't take advantage of those things, then that obviously limits kind of our effectiveness. Yeah, it's it seems like you might have a sort of a preaching to the choir problem. Sometimes the people Absolutely. that might opt in are maybe <laughs> the ones who are who are actually making good progress and are on board with what you're doing. And it can feel like, OK, this I'm glad we have this partnership, but actually there's some local congregations or congregations abroad that are really not engaging well and they either don't want to or they don't recognize. And so, you know, if if you're dealing mostly with self-selecting <laughs> partnerships, uh, then, OK, yeah. How? And so then I imagine that sort of turns your values back around to you and say, OK, how do we show congregations that we have a sense are struggling in some of these areas? How do we have a compelling vision cast for why this matters for them? How can we be compassionate to them and, you know, invite them into a process of dialogue? and moving forward. And that it seems like that could be a challenging, uh, a challenging road to walk with people. Yeah, it really is. And um, I've used that very terminology with um, my partner in the Gospel Initiative, Jason Woodman, um, who, who really oversees the, the public uh, witness events. So Jason and I frequently say that, oh, I think we're preaching to the choir. So how do we keep moving out? How do we cross those barriers really and, yes. and try and build bridges with different audiences. Yes. And as, as you were talking about uh, some of the, you know, dealing with cognitive dissonance, um, I, you have to forgive me because I'm ignorant of so much of intervarsity history and where, where and when things started. But when you were, when you were closely tied feet in both camps or even fully on staff, was the, was the approaching differences diagram a thing that was alive and well during that time? Um, yes. So, um, I think it's had a multiple, multiple names. Okay. Um, yes. So I'm trying to think of what it was called when I first came on staff out of college, um, and then spent years as campus staff and area director, associate regional director, those different times. Um, oh, it, it, I can see it in my (laughs) mind, but (laughs) I cannot recall the name but it, it is it has been around for a very long time okay. um i'm assuming it has a bit different iterations now but probably and, so and it has different names but it, it sounds very similar to what you're talking about of you know what you, know, you use the term redlining as you're redlining. having this cognitive dissonance <laughs> and like yes. how do you recognize oh i'm redlining right now and what are some what are some prompts that you can use to help engage with that because that can be a very important moment where you like i i am not jiving with what we're talking about here. Oh, I'm so glad that you feel that way, that you recognize that. What's the next part of our conversation coming out of that? And and what's the sort of the timeline that we can that we can estimate will happen as you are engaging with new ideas? And, you know, what are the peaks and valleys that come along with this and making progress and then oh, two steps back and then, you know, uh, so it's, you know, those it sounds again like conversations that we have within our varsity that we train students in of, you know, what does it look like to be ready to engage with with different ideas to recognize when you're not jiving and to make, make steps forward. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. uh, so, uh, uh, yeah, just, uh, it's interesting to me to see places where, oh yeah, these <laughs> continuing to have many of these same kinds of conversations. Absolutely. Yeah. The redlining has been a part of my husband and I, our vernacular for decades <laughs> nice. coming right out of our global project experiences yes. and being trained in that. Yeah. And I think it is, it's really important. It's a part of 
identifying that dissonance, right? And am I going to be open right, and kind of press into that? Or am I going to withdraw and intensify the beliefs that I have? Yes. As you, I mean, as you look at these things, what, what, uh, what gives you hope? Are there stories that you can look at in these, in these early years? You say like, man, this is where I see God moving in this work that he's invited us. Like God's already doing this stuff. He's just invited us to join him in the work that he's doing. And so are there, are there stories that you can look at of this is where things are happening and this gives me hope? Um, I, I think one of the things that's been amazingly encouraging to me has been the opportunities to interact with the speakers that we've brought. Um, and it's hopeful for me because we, we bring these experts in their fields. Um, for instance, last spring, uh, we did an event on climate change and all of the speakers were climate scientists, all female experts in their field um, and people of deep Christian faith and talk about world changers. You know, I, I feel like they're speaking into some of the most important places in our world and have opportunities to influence, um, significantly influence huge swaths of uh, the world and the population. Mm. And they're doing that uh, in careful, thoughtful, compelling ways and integrating science and faith and showing the world that those are not at odds. So that is encouraging to me to, to I guess, have the opportunity to see people who are out there in the world to doing such important work. And I think of InterVarsity, one of the things that I loved about InterVarsity from way back when I was a student and one of the reasons I came on staff was the strategic nature yes, of yes. campus ministry. Uh, these are the folks that are going to be at some point at the top of their fields, um, influencing the world in every discipline. And mm. and university has the opportunity to uh, disciple and to be involved in their lives. So I, I think that's a similar experience that I've had with um, Gospel Initiative of being able to connect with these folks and and then bring in different audiences to connect with them. Uh, another quick story would be um, we just did an event on Christian nationalism, and yeah. there was a whole group of pastors who had kind of found each other previous to the event who were all wrestling with kind of the rise of Christian nationalism in their communities and in their own congregations and okay. seeking out support and help from one another. And so they all came to that event as a group and used the event as a place to gather and encourage and support. And our speakers um, interacted with them, came early, spent time with them. And I thought um, that that's encouraging to me as well, that if if the Gospel Initiative can be a place where where pastors and Christians and nonprofit leaders find support and encouragement in in these complex challenges um, and can feel like there are other believers walking alongside them. That's encouraging and hopeful to me. Yeah. I have to imagine that, you know, for you with the gospel initiative and then for these, these pastors and other people that you're engaging with, there has to be maybe this almost, uh, I think, I think I'm thinking of the right person. This is sort of Elijah moment of like, I'm the last one. I'm the only one that <laughs> I'm the only one that's doing this. And then and then mm -hmm. God says, "Oh, I have reserved all of these people that have not bowed the knee who are who are working alongside of me and what I'm doing here and that they come to these moment to these these conferences or these opportunities that you're creating for them." Uh, and that they feel encouraged of like, oh, okay, it's not just me. It's not just me trying to trying to make this happen. And I, I imagine for all of you as well that you see people show up at these things. And you're like, oh, thank you, Lord. It's not just us that that sees a value and a need for this going forward. That there are pastors and congregations that look at this as like we need to keep being developed in this way so that we can engage well with the community around us. And and how do we talk about these things? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yes, you did get that story. Okay, right? great. <laughs> <laughs> Elijah. Um, but I think that's a really um, very real experience for a lot of people. I, I feel like this, I'm struggling with whatever it is, and I'm kind of the only one in the assumption that everyone else sees something differently. And so, I mean, I, our hope really is that Denver Seminary becomes known for uh, at known as being an institution that's willing to have mm. really hard conversations 
um, and to bring people together that might disagree, but are willing to be in the conversation. Um, so I think that's hopeful that there can be places where we continue to do that. Absolutely. As you think about these experiences that you've had, is there is there an impact that you can see that God is is having as you're stepping into these circles, like an impact for you that God is still doing this work of transforming me? You know, we talk about it, InterVarsity, lives transformed, campus renewed, world changers developed. As you are doing this world changing work along with God, are there places that he continues to transform you through this time? Oh, he's humbling me so much. <laughs> One of the great things about not only the gospel initiative, but my faculty role is that I have the privilege of studying and growing and learning on a variety of topics, um, which probably means I know a little bit about a whole lot of stuff. But <laughs> what that does is it it humbles me continually because mm. there's so much to learn and the complexity of life is a very real thing. And yes. so I think that continues to humble me and encouraging me to say, I, I don't know, but I'm learning mm. and growing. So that has been good. Um, I think it's been inspiring me to deepen my understanding of God's world because we're engaging such diverse disciplines. And in my courses, I engage you know everything from economics to politics to sociology, you know, and, and it, I think I have those awe moments, those moments of wonder and awe at the, the amazing nature of God's creation. Mm. And it inspires me to keep learning and growing. I hope it's making me more compassionate. Um, that's always a hope and a prayer that it's deepening my desire to love people well Yes. And I mean, the the posture of humility that you said that's being developed in you, uh, I mean, that sounds like a great thing to lead with in the work that you're that you're doing, because uh, there's a there's a significant amount of humility that's required as we do some self-examination and say, like, wow, I, I do not have a compelling witness. I am not being compassionate to the world around me uh, and, and to say, like, there's some stuff that needs to change about my theology and the way that I live out the things that I believe. And so that I, that's I think that's probably very appropriate that the Lord has been working that in you as you encourage other people to step into maybe consider a different way. <laughs> maybe there's another way to do this. And uh, so that's that that seems appropriate that that would be one of those things that the Lord is doing. Uh, we, we've named a couple of these already, but I'm just going to ask for another one anyways. As you look back on your history with InterVarsity, are there formative threads that you can see that have helped lead you into the work that you're doing today? So many, so <laughs> many. And in every semester when I'm introducing myself, I kind of introduce myself through talking about the threads that I feel like God has woven together throughout my life. And university is always a part of um, many of those, if not all of them. I would say one of them is that the whole introduction to justice mm. um, and what biblical justice is and a work towards justice, a holistic understanding of the redemptive work of God. I think that's something that I was introduced to early on in my life with university, um, particularly in my staff life, being introduced to uh, all kinds of people, multi-ethnic teams, global projects, urban projects that just launched me on a path that I'm still on. Certainly my love for God's word um, and how we apply it in ways that are faithful to the nature of the text um, and relevant to the world. Yes. And then I, I would say a deep love for the world and God's mission in mm. it. I think that's probably all come from university as well. And it sounds like I'm intentionally aligning it with the four loves. Um, <laughs> not necessarily doing that intentionally, but it, that really has been the yes. legacy of university for me. Um, I, I think university has modeled for me deep relationships and a willingness to live in tension. Hmm. This is something I, I talk about a lot um, with students and the gospel initiative, being willing to live in those places of tension and allow there to be mystery in life and in our relationship with God. 
Yes. Uh, I love that, you know, because there's probably many people that can, many alumni that can look back on their experiences with InterVarsity, whether they're staff, students, whether they were a student and a staff at some point, whatever it might be, who've had these experiences with InterVarsity and would identify with many of those same things that they learned, but can be in a completely different context than what you're doing, Dr. Pell, and say like, oh yeah, those same things helped shaped, helped shape me uh, for the work that God is doing in my context and that he's inviting me to be a part of with him. And that's, I, I love it that those are, that, that those things are so, that they are broad enough that we can all have experienced them and say like, yeah, this is still work that God is doing in my life and in my context today. Absolutely. As you think about other alumni who are thinking about these things and who are engaging with God in these ways or who are who are doing some examination of like, how is God moving in my context? What can I do to partner with him in this in this work that he's doing? Do you have a word of encouragement that you would give to other alumni like you? I would say be patient. I think you mentioned this or referenced it earlier in our conversation on the, the waiting for God to uh, open doors or weave together our passions and vocation and kind of calling. I think for many of us, we do have these passion, this legacy of, of university in us and this desire to be involved in God's purposes, um, to love people well and love his word, introduce people to the Lord. And we're not necessarily sure how that is getting lived out at certain mm. times in our life or in different stages of life. And I, I would say, be patient that none of that is wasted, that God is amazingly creative at weaving together our lives and opening yes. doors and giving us opportunities to live out the the passions and the calling vocation that he's given us. And it looks differently in different stages of life. And I don't, you know, we're not always fully able to live out kind of every piece of, of our calling at all the time. But mm. I think the patience and maybe, maybe a patiently expectant, just to make <laughs> it more complicated, yeah. um, you know, that we could be patient, but look forward to those ways that we get to invest in other people those ways we get to work for the flourishing of others, ways we get to love his purposes. And I guess along with that, I would say uh, long obedience in the same direction, mm. faithfulness in small ways. It doesn't always have to be big, uh, that we can be faithful in what God has right in front of us and and the long obedience of serving the lord and loving god his word his purposes and maybe a little courage i'll throw courage in there as well Absolutely. i think it takes courage yeah some time to to follow the lord and to step into those places that we're a little uncertain about but might be places of real influence and impact Yes, I, I think it's really easy for us to ignore the power of everyday faithfulness that oftentimes we think like being a world changer means that I'm going to do this big thing and all in this single moment, all of these people turn around and give give their lives to Christ, you know, sort of this like Pentecost moment with Peter and the, and the apostles and like this is that's a world changer. And to say, I don't know, like to pull off one of those events, that's one thing. But to do something small every single day with the anticipation that whether or not you see something happen, God is moving. And that that seems so fantastic to me and much more challenging to be faithful every day to your neighbor, to your children, to your coworkers, to the other people in your church, to the person down the street that looks, talks, acts, thinks, and believes differently than you. Those are moments of being a world changer right there, engaging consistently, compassionately in a compelling way with them that there you go. Be faithful in those places. And then maybe something big will happen here and there. But that's the vast majority of our lives are those next door neighbor moments. And that's that's what we do. Absolutely. Yes. And the vast majority of us will be average folks, hopefully <laughs> yeah. living faithful lives. Yes. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. That's, no. you know, really, really good. I think of Luke 14 and um, Jesus at the home of the Pharisee and 
uh, he's observing what's going on and says, hey, you know, when you throw a banquet or a luncheon, um, don't invite all the people that can reciprocate, the the in crowd, the influential invites, the poor and the lame and the crippled and the blind, and you're, you're, that will be repaid mm. in the resurrection of the righteous. And I think, yeah, that's those, that's that faithful action to love people well every day. Um, and it may not be a big thing, but the, there will be blessing now and blessing at the end as well. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Dr. Pell, as, as we close together here, uh, two, two final questions for you. And that's one, if people hear about the gospel initiative and they're like, man, that sounds fantastic. Uh, are there, are there ways that they can continue to engage with you to follow up or, you know, to ask more questions? And as you continue on in this work, how are, what are some ways that your fellow alumni can be lifting you and the gospel initiative up in prayer? Yeah, thanks for those questions. I appreciate that. Um, you can find the Gospel Initiative on the Denver Seminary's website. It's on our main page. Um, you'll be able to find that. And that will take you to um, a page of resources, upcoming events, things like that. Um, I am always available. So you can find <laughs> me on the Denver Seminary website on the faculty page and also on the Gospel Initiative and email me. So if anybody has questions or wants to continue the conversation. I am happy to do that. So people can reach out and find me there. Perfect. Uh, in terms of prayer, I would say that um, I would love prayer just that we would know how to reach people, um, the right audiences, and how to um, engage them in this kind of new world of distance and online. And um, how do we do that? Uh, in ways that make sense for people so that we really can provide opportunities for learning, deep learning about complex issues and support and encouragement. We, we want to find the folks that need that, so to speak, and that, that I think God is sending us to. So that would be a place of prayer. That's great. We will we will make sure that all of that information ends up in the show notes so that people can engage with it, so they can Look up the gospel. Co oh my goodness! Look up the gospel initiative. I'm so <laughs> That's sorry. The problem so with the name. <laughs> so ridiculous. Oh boy, be a professional, John. <laughs> uh, that they can look up the gospel initiative. That they can send you a message, and uh, and so that they can easily engage some of those things to be praying for. And Dr. Pell, thank you so much for joining us today. And thanks for sharing these things. And thank you for the ways that you are faithfully partnering with God and his world changing work. It is so exciting to get to, uh, to get to see these things unfolding with our alumni. Thank you. It's been a real privilege and honor to be here. Um, love InterVarsity and want to do whatever I can to encourage alumni and folks that have connection with InterVarsity. So thank you, John. Thanks for tuning in, alumni. Check the show notes for more information about today's guest and for ways that you could be praying for your fellow alum. If you know someone who needs to hear this story, take just a moment to share the episode with them and then be sure to leave us a rating and a review as well. Now go change that world, alumni. Thanks for listening to InterVarsity World Changers. This podcast is brought to you by the InterVarsity Alumni Relations Team, hosted and produced by John Steele, production assistance by Mike Santera, and our theme song is Crazy by InterVarsity alumnus Andy Minio.